0: Busy people and lots of yellies
1: Worcester hipsters and fed up townies We have more than pizza in common With two rocks for bookends New Haven, New Haven, New Haven Between two rocks Welcome back to the Between Two Rocks podcast. I am your host, Josh Levinson. This is episode 18. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you so much, uh, Colin Ryan, for coming back as, as almost always.
0: Yeah, good to be here again, Josh.
1: Ah, oh, just as promised. <laughs> nice. Delivered <laughs> it. He's, yeah, you you are what you said you would be. That's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we're going to do something a little different and just do our little plugs and announcements real quick, just because I'm not sure how many of you make it to a uh, minute 55 of the podcast. So... Uh, just do a little Trinity Bar update. Uh, things are looking pretty good over there. I think they're shooting for June 14th as a open date. Uh, I've been helping them out with a little IT stuff. They asked me to come take a look at their phones, which I went in there and absolutely failed to do. So that's pretty good. Nice. But that I means you need phones around a bar. I'm not sure. Um, probably not. Probably not. So uh, that's good. And then uh, I'm hosting a comedy show on Friday, June 21st at 9 p.m. at the Art Plus Studios. If you want to come to that. Uh, it was pretty successful last time. Uh, it's ten dollars. It includes wine and some snacks. Mm-hmm. Um, I brought my baby to the last one. Yeah, you can bring a baby. You know, uh, preferably yours. But I mean, if I guess if you find a baby and it's well tempered. I'm
0: gonna bring bunches of babies next <laughs> bunches time. Bunches of babies.
1: <laughs> I gotta write a lot of baby related material. I guess so. That's good. Yeah. Uh, we had a good time, and I got a bunch of new comics coming. Uh, so it should be fun. We're kind of trying to do that once a month. Um, So yeah, check that out. Should be pretty exciting. And uh, yeah, so our guest this week, month, um, depending on our schedule has been a little up and down lately, but uh, we're trying to do bi-weekly. But our guest this week is the director of the Elm City uh, Innovation Collaborative. That's right. Yes! All right. Uh, Michael Harris, welcome to the podcast.
2: It's great to be here. Thanks for having
1: me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, boy, that, yeah, that's a bit of a mouthful.
2: It's a bit of a mouthful, but I think it, it describes uh, what we were trying to do in the planning process okay. of address the innovation economies in New Haven, but doing it in an open, collaborative, and inclusive way. Um, there was a working title that started with the planning group and then got us through the first uh, portions of the grant cycle. So that was that was very helpful. Uh, we're looking at this summer um, potentially finding a way to come out more publicly with our initiatives and... Uh, potentially uh, use some different branding to support New Haven's innovation scene. Gosh, so, yeah. pitch
0: us. What's the new branding? What are we going to see in a month? Well, that's what we're working on. I think uh, we're we're interested in finding a way to highlight
2: the the history that New Haven has in innovation. I mean, the city was basically built on inventions that were made here, mm-hmm. and then produced and shipped around the world, right? Yep. So cotton uh, gin. The cotton Frisbee. gin, the gun that won the West, the Winchester mm. rifle. Uh, but I was over in New Haven Museum this last week, and they've got stuff that the I didn't even realize. The gun that oppressed the West. Mm-hmm. Well, it was the gun that oppressed the West and... I mean, basically, that factory shipped guns around the world. Like There were a series of wars that were won based off of the quality of that. Some of the better things to focus on, though, are things like the Morse code telegram was invented in New Haven. Okay. Uh, the, the The Webster Dictionary was started in New Haven. Um, there's, really? I was like a
1: Hartford thing, because that's like the Webster houses in Hartford, isn't it?
2: Uh, I believe that he got through the first three letters of the alphabet in New Haven. <laughs>
1: Okay, <laughs> so yeah. we're gonna call it. We're gonna take credit for that. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. For the best three letters, some might say. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? yeah. Get I mean, out of here, D.
0: <laughs> no, D's a good
1: one.
2: <laughs> yeah, and so finding a way of taking that history, which really I think is part of the city's identity, and linking it to a lot of the discoveries that are happening now. So li- the same buildings that were building those Winchester rifles mm-hmm. are now being used to
1: create designer drugs that nobody can afford. I know it's great, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's,
2: it, it, they're, they're cures to cancers that we currently don't have solutions for. Yeah, and yeah. so uh, there are some that are going for specialty diseases that are a very niche market, but some of those mm-hmm. drug delivery systems have revolutionized uh, cancer treatment and a decent amount of just like the basic how things cross through cellular membrane delivery systems.
1: Okay, nice. So it's good that so far your your organization is mostly operated in private. I find that's better. You know what I mean? Because you're trying to be more public. Sorry, the joke will way too long. <laughs> a lot <laughs> <of> time will last. <laughs> Woo! Definitely should have talked to some humans before coming in today. You're but doing that's only, great. Yeah, no. we're having a fun time. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, basic, you, you worked for the mayor's office, right?
2: Yeah, so I, I spent about five years in the mayor's office um, and left this last uh, fall. Okay. What's your number one pet peeve with Tony Harp? <laughs> um, I think she doesn't speak extemporaneously often enough. I think that she her pr- presentation style has always been very sort of behind the podium and presenting. And the, the times when she has gotten passionate and and usually it's, it's when there's there's something at stake and she gets a little angry and actually starts speaking, She, I think that... She's m- much more inspiring to me when she is is actually Yelling fighting for what face. Is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that and, and, you? Me, and me or yeah. other people, but um, <laughs> uh, particularly around uh, issues caring for children. Um, mm-hmm. I think she has a real passion for that, and I, I would like to see more of that.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So she lacks passion. That's what you're saying? <laughs> no. <That's laughs> no, what no, I'm no, hearing. no.
1: Yeah, I think, I think he's on record of saying that. That's pretty good. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she doesn't tune in. You're probably safe. Okay. Um, so, so you were working for you're working for the office for her office, but like, I feel like when you started doing this, you were still working for her. It was like part of their initiative, or no? Yeah.
2: So, so this this actually started with um, a state bill responding to GE leaving the state. Okay. Um, so when GE left, like the Republicans at the time took the opportunity to say that taxes drove out the, the company.
1: Even though all the evidence pointed to that not being the well, case.
2: Well, they went to the middle of Boston, which is a yeah. high-tax city and a mm-hmm. high-tax state with yeah. more expensive costs. I've
1: actually, I, we were actually having a conversation in New Haven, I.O. about this. And actually, the taxes in Boston proper are not that high, but the property values are so high yeah. that it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, your your actual, like, cost of living is already so high that the taxes... Like, there's the grand list is so huge, it doesn't necessarily matter. So, like, because the property value is so high, your mill rate can be actually pretty low, but you're still, like, it doesn't... You know what I mean? Yeah, no,
2: the basic cost of doing business there is so much higher. And, I mean, the two big departures of, of mainly the C-suite to Boston, which have been GE and um, Alexion... Uh, both have been generally considered sort of a stutter step and, and, and Yeah, faltered. GE's
1: move is considered kind of a disaster. Like, the whole yeah. thing went pretty badly. And, like, they even were like, oh, we're not going to do the second building now. And uh,
2: Well, e- each of those was catalyzed by, like, an economic development subsidy package, which yeah. essentially is a race to the bottom as far mm-hmm. as, like, economic development strategy. Sure. And so uh, this initiative sort of went the other direction of saying mm-hmm. – there are companies that are moving out of these suburban campuses. Mm-hmm. That was like the way that innovation used to get done. You'd mm-hmm. build a campus and people would move to live nearby. Now, pe- talent wants to live in cities. Right, Companies are chasing that. And so how do we invest in Connecticut in the types of places that you know you are know. vibrant and dense mm-hmm. and
0: have that urban setting that is going to be the engine of the future? Yeah. So who do, you, do you target different, um, different companies, like smaller companies for that would be a fit for New Haven? I mean, you're not getting GE to move to New Haven. No, and
2: actually most of what we do isn't direct company recruitment. Um, so our strategy is investing in those programs that support the innovation economy. So uh, we don't invest directly in any companies, but most of our investments have been in local talent, training local entrepreneurs, space for bioscience, and then placemaking projects um, directly linked to the technology sector.
0: Okay. So would that be like, uh, you know, like co-working spaces as an example? Is it like space for people to, to start businesses in New Haven or? So um, we, we've
2: we been active in planning for about two and a half years. Um, and when we first started, there was one co-working space in town. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had a partnership with The Grove where we helped support some of their community building and space build out. But six months into that, there were suddenly six co-working spaces. Mm-hmm. And it didn't make sense to pick a winner and sort of subsidize one of those so currently within the office space market we've got places like regis this new network that just opened up on temple street uh drive is offering their full suite you know a amen- high amenity um, i don't know what any
0: of these places are regis drive. i also have not heard these yeah, names oh well, really drive is the is that the one that uh yeah so drive so drives over at district yeah um and that they case? have many names built into district
1: yeah no i know that i was just more i
0: don't know the specific uh companies over there Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they have two anchors and then the rest is co working, as far right. as I know.
2: So, they've, they've got two large anchors. They've had two more come in recently with large footprints. Um, they have sort of an education suite um, with the Holberton School Coding Academy and U of Next. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have Drive, which is their main co working space. Mm-hmm. How
1: is Holberton going over there? Is there a good enrollment? Is um, yeah,
2: I think they're just about to announce their second cohort. So they started at the end of January yeah. um, with their first 30 students, um, about half of which, a little over half, were from the New Haven area. Yeah, there's um, definitely
1: a very fierce debate in the New Haven I.O. community about Holberton School and uh, the, the economics of such a, you know educational funding situation. You know what I mean? Are they,
0: is it a coding academy or what? Yeah,
1: it's a coding academy, but it's basically the premise is you go for free But then Um, they get a percentage. Right, they get a Mm -hmm. they get like seventeen percent of your income for up to like three and a half years, Mm -hmm. like with like a eighty five thousand dollar cap, which like is like you know I mean that's cheaper than uh for your certainly private private liberal arts school Mm -hmm. and probably gonna make you more playable. Yeah, but uh you know I I don't know I I think there's some issues. Some people are really against it in in the community. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. you know if they feel that it's just like deceptive or just you know. Seventy percent could be a lot when you're first starting off.
0: I think it's just, it's a direct response to education costing so much that they're like, oh, we need a the model's completely broken at this yeah. point, you know. Yeah. So. Well, and
2: it's it's presenting it as a professional school, which is which is different from the traditional more of like a four trade year school. Yeah, right? certainly. And um, I mean, I think one one of the things that we did when we were doing some of the the first look is we actually had a few other models that we were looking at, um, that were much more of like the boot camp variety, mm-hmm. um. And just what some of the research is showing is that a lot of the impact of that is a little hit or miss. So the the boot camps seem really effective at taking somebody who maybe did a four-year undergraduate degree Mm -hmm. and skilling them up for a particular sector or application. But it, it is not doesn't seem to have been shown quite as good of a track record of taking somebody from zero to employable yeah and so the whole school is a different model and like it's two years mm-hmm. it's incredibly yeah. intense mm-hmm. um and then at the end of those two years they have a pretty good record of being employable so some of the things that right. made us i mean our
1: model has to, you have to be employable for them to make money yeah right? i
2: mean um, you know,
1: all the money thing otherwise
2: no and like the, so, so they, that's a real
1: scam go there for two years and then just like become a janitor You're like right, <laughs> yeah, gotcha yeah a- actually the, i'm not gonna um,
2: code at all the the income share works a little bit differently which is that uh it only kicks in after forty thousand dollars a year yeah. So if you... Can you
1: hire me for 38 <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> well,
2: I mean, that's that's meaningful in a city in which the median household income is $26,000 a year. No, right? for sure. And so for what we're looking at as a state, mm-hmm. they're, they're projecting um, a massive increase in the need for these jobs in the next 10 years, like a yeah. 30% increase.
1: It's crazy, because when I went to college for computer science, everybody's like... Oh, your job is going to be outsourced to India or whatever, and I'm like, aren't you a psychology major? <laughs> like, what are you? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, guess what? There's already psychologists. You're in trouble. Yeah, sure, I had man. computer
0: science teachers tell me that. They're like, oh. most of these jobs will be done <laughs> in India pretty soon. <laughs> wow, <laughs> nice.
2: Well, I mean, and I'm not a computer science person, but from from what I've learned yeah. and in the last last few years of, of conversation. If you approach it just as coding, right? Like, can you do the mechanics of the work? Yeah. That's something that can be really easily outsourced. It's a lot of the design thinking yeah. that I, that yeah. comes into it. I like, worked
1: for a corporation that did outsource um, some pretty big projects to India, and there are some pretty severe problems that you end up with. Like one of the issues is communication. Like for sure, you know, like if you're dealing with people, and like, you know, like design is a very nuanced thing, and if you're dealing with people whose you know English skills are not going to be as strong, some of those nuances can really be lost. And you also have a limited number of hours to communicate with somebody across the globe. Like, they're not going to be working the same hours. So if you have a problem, like, they need to – like, it's – you know, like, we had all kinds of problems. Like, they – the sheer quantity of work they did for the money is amazing. But also, there were, like, severe problems where they misunderstood the problem or it wasn't communicated clearly by the project manager. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just like we basically found you kind of get what you pay for. You know what I mean? Like,
2: well, and, and a lot of the, what we're going to be seeing for the needs for computer science in the future is not just like create software products, sell software products, but it's going to be how do you transform industries that are being disrupted by software technology. So it's going to be how do you become intimately familiar with a particular sector in business and sort of I think a lot of the in-house computer science talent is going to be a need in Connecticut.
1: Yeah, I've not found it to be. Yeah, there's plenty of jobs out there like i always like i've people you know me like oh do you know any ruby developers <laughs> like i don't i wish i yeah if i did they all have jobs so mm-hmm. yeah well and that's so learn computer science go to holberton school you know do it
2: that that's the best solution that we found for taking somebody who um, wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity and getting them to a professionally employable level um, we've we've looked at our two major industries which the the, the larger one actually really is bioscience yeah um, and so New Haven has probably the, the hottest up-and-coming bioscience scene, definitely in the Northeast, maybe in the country. Really? Um, yeah, the amount of discoveries that are coming out of Yale, um, we have the second densest concentration of research and development dollars in the country, and it's mainly going into Yale Bioscience. And those companies that are coming out have have gained so much investment mm-hmm. that it's actually made, in the last five years, New Haven has been the third fastest-growing venture capital city in the country. Okay. Um, which I think flies below the radar very often because yeah. a lot of these companies are then going into these big buildings like over at Science Park or 300 George mm-hmm. that aren't as visible.
1: Yeah. But,
2: w- I mean, there were two companies that had IPOs on Wall Street this year from New Haven that mm-hmm. were, you know, over $100 million. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm surprised that, like, that. why is Yale – like? because I assume it's mostly Yale-driven, right, Yale Research?
2: Well, so Yale gets about – million a year in NIH grants, that's federal research dollars Mm -hmm. that are coming in. And um, between their research into some of the bioscience as well as some of the the, the medical applications, um, that's spinning out a whole cohort of of companies. A lot of them have been focused in sort of the oncology space their pivot now seems very much to be doubling down in neuroscience. And so, a combination of like big data and neuroscience research is probably going to be some of the forefront of where they're going now. Okay. Between Yale's Institute and then like the new center that the hospital is putting in.
1: Yeah, yeah, I saw that.
2: But the, the challenge for that is that this sector requires advanced degrees. Right. And the space to do the, the work is actually really expensive. Um, it's about right. five times mm-hmm. more expensive to build lab space than it is to build anything yeah. else. And
1: those aren't those jobs aren't going to be for native New Haven people. Struggle the people with your median twenty four thousand dollars a year people that those jobs are not accessible mm. to them.
2: Well, and that that's what we've been trying to figure out how to address because this is clearly the sector that, as a city, we are bringing in the venture investment. The, these are the companies that are growing. For, you know, Alexion added like fifty four employees in the last year, and I'm sure I'm undercounting that. Yeah.
1: It Um, is funny. There was like, oh, they're leaving, and it's like they still seem to be there. And uh, oh yeah, no, quite a few people (laughs) over there. Leadership left. No, mm-hmm.
2: leadership left, but the honest answer is like leadership left because the CEO lived in, their new CEO lived in Boston and didn't yeah. want to commute. Mm-hmm. They actually offered a whole bunch of their R&D staff mm-hmm. relocation packages, and almost none of them took them. Really? Yeah. Most chose to stay here in New Haven, so they kept 500 jobs over at that Alexion building.
1: fascinating to hear like, the uh, reasoning behind all that. Mm-hmm. You
2: know? So uh, a good portion of it is that the R&D talent is mm-hmm. that good, yeah. and they want to live here. Gotcha. So there's actually a few uh, a few people that like decided not to stay at a, once the C-suite left to mm-hmm. go to Boston started up their own companies. There are two companies okay. over in Brantford and Guilford that are run by you know Alexion uh, expatriates. Yeah. yeah,
1: I'm just I guess I'm surprised that Yale is like. Like I would think, like Boston, you know, with like Harvard, MIT, etc. I mean, MIT's not really focused on bioscience, but I'm just like surprised that like Yale is such a burgeoning, you know.
2: Well, I, I mean, Boston is still like the the gorilla, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're they are a, a global heavyweight, mm-hmm. but but Yale is some of the fastest growing re- research sectors. Okay. And for the types of of applications that we're talking about. Some of the discoveries coming out of Yale are some of the best in the world. Um, mm-hmm. that, and that's building a national and international reputation.
0: So is there anything in these labs, are there like tech jobs or anything that people you know could go to a, a boot camp for and learn yeah. how to do? Or is it really just all high science stuff that you're not going to be able to employ many people locally?
2: So uh, they're employing a decent number of people locally. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually like, thousands of jobs in bioscience companies. Um, I mean uh, jobs like, that are accessible yeah. for people to So, So to our, Venice, our, our Venice, for example, just added like 60 jobs in the last year over at Science Park. And a decent amount what they're hiring for um, are people who have some skills in a lab. But as the company grows, clearly they need sales and operations. But they also need different levels of lab skill. So when a company is six people you got a lot of very advanced degrees. And to work in that, essentially, you need a, a biology or chemistry degree. So we started out with a partnership with Southern called the Biopath Initiative to get the students coming through Southern that are much more likely to stay in the state. They have about a 90% retention rate.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I heard that there was, like, a study that showed that um, most people who go to state school, state schools tend to stay in-state. You yeah. know what I mean? And Because there was, like, a big, like... Why do we need to invest in UConn? Like why do you need to invest in the state education system? It's like, well, studies show that people who go to state universities tend to stick around, you know, like mm-hmm. they have that sort of like emotional investment in their in their home place. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So so I, I've got two big picture answers to your question, like how do we get local people jobs at these these companies? And the first is for people who have four year degrees or master's degrees that are already in the pipeline that are local, how do we make them the most compelling to hire, particularly for these young companies? And w- there are two lines from a chemistry professor at Southern during our planning process that stuck with me. Uh, this guy's named Todd Ryder. And he said, all of these local com- bioscience companies oh, great here. Great name. Mm-hmm. Good I this name. Guy anywhere. Me too. <laughs> Boom. Todd Ryder. Uh, <laughs> max power. I got it off a of hinge, Rider. <laughs>
1: Um
2: He said that uh, all of these bioscience companies are posting looking for people who know how to run their equipment. Mm-hmm. And so he said, look, "Look, they want someone who knows how to run a mass spectrometer. If you give me a mass spectrometer, we can give you 20 people a year who know how to run it." Yeah. So we had a program called the Small Instrumentation Fund that started with Southern, is now open to all the other area universities, mm-hmm. where we help purchase equipment that is used at our local bioscience companies to train on at the undergraduate level. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there, yeah, are, there aren't there yeah. aren't that many colleges like in the country where, as mm-hmm. a like as an undergraduate, you can get like in run series of experiments on mm-hmm. professional level instrumentation.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's particular jobs out there that are like, do you know AutoCAD? Okay, you can have the job. Do you know how to run a CNC machine? You get yep. the job, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, the, that opportunity sounds great. If there's like a an upfront capital investment is what's needed and then you can train people, like yeah. that's perfect.
2: And that's a recurring pipeline that, that keeps going. The second thing that Todd said is that uh, the last summer his brightest student um, worked at Rite Aid all summer because she couldn't afford to take the free internship in a lab. So we created a series of targeted summer research experience stipends so that people who, for their economic circumstances, couldn't take research opportunities mm-hmm. were able to get experience so they have something to show when they're going in to pitch an employer of, like, why don't you want to hire the person coming in from out of state? Yeah. Hey, I've worked in a local lab. I know how to run your instruments. And that's that's at the, B, the BA level. Um, what we've also found, though, is that there's a decent amount of the the jobs, something like a quarter to a third of the jobs, that only require um, at the larger bioscience companies, sort of an associate's level degree, in some of the um, in some of like the science application and like lab work type stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're in the midst of planning with uh, BioCT, which is the statewide bioscience organization, mm-hmm. um, how we can make those jobs more accessible, mm-hmm. um, because it's not just a question of how do we get people locally good jobs which is is important but it is also a retention strategy for the company so if we've got a company that is like a yale researcher and like three people helping him and they want to grow to eight or ten if we can get three local people that like know new haven Mm -hmm. and uh have roots here if we can get three of those people in the company that company is so much more likely to stay Mm Um, because I think that like the human stickiness factor is one of the things that like New Haven has as its strong selling point. Like, Absolutely, people I want feel to be myself
1: here. as an anchor, dragging people down from leaving. You
0: should advertise our human stickiness. That's the that's <laughs> yeah. what I'd put on the posters. Josh's human stickiness is like an anchor. <laughs> <laughs> It'll drag you down. Oh,
1: boy, <laughs> I just when you put all those words together, it sounds really disgusting. Honestly, how do you
0: feel about the the free tuition for staying in state stuff like New York, um, New York City, and as far as I know, the state does it for people going to state schools, if you stay for, I think it's like five years, they'll, you know, they'll cover your tuition if you if you work in state. Um, is that something you would support when you run for like your a, legislative that like career?
1: Something that a state that
0: has more money would really work on doing? Well, it's like, all, I mean, that's just what the research shows. You know, it's yeah. it, if you can get people we're paying for for people to to train here, you know, yeah. if you can get people yeah. to stay, it pumps it back into the economy. No, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, instead of losing them, someone goes to UConn and then we lose them to Boston. The state gets nothing, you know? Yeah. Um, so if you can...
1: I makes mean, it for their tuition.
0: <laughs> yeah, you get their tuition, but it, it's, you know, the the return on that is not yeah. very high. You know, if you can yeah. get someone to stay here for 30 years.
2: So, I mean, there's a variety of different things that we can think of. It's like, what's the incentives to, to stay? And what, what the state has been looking at for a while are property tax incentives, which was one lever that essentially it's... <laughs> It's, only, it, it's paid for by the towns, so the state wouldn't see it as an impact on their budget. Mm. Right. But I, I don't think that that's what people are really thinking about when they're 23 and thinking about where they're going to move. Yeah. Is like property, well, t- property tax discounts or something. Right. Right. I, I think some of the most impactful things that we could think about for how do we make um, innovation easier and keep people are how do we address student debt, and I think that some sort of forgiveness program for, for state universities – um, forgiveness program for other universities could be important. I think that healthcare is one of the things that we don't talk about enough as relevant within the innovation space. So, the like Obamacare extending your ability to be on your parents' insurance to twenty six, I think, was transformative in giving people a few years to go out and like Take try basics. and fail interesting yeah. things after mm-hmm. college. But I think that also that comes with a notion that uh, like. Innovation and in entrepreneurship is driven by people who are like 23 or like out of their college dorm room. And like I don't think that's true. Yeah, um, I, I think like a decent amount of like good companies are started by people who are older. And actually entrepreneurs in their 50s have twice the success rate of entrepreneurs uh, below the age of 35.
1: So we're talking like one to two percent. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nice.
2: <laughs> but but that kind of experience is important. And so I, I think that particularly for a lot of the companies in the tech that we're talking about here, um, I think that there's a, a huge potential for grad students um, to spin off some of what they're working on into companies, but the challenges that they face then are much more relevant to healthcare. Where if you have a steady job that and you have a kid and you're married in your, your late 30s, that those are m- multiple more barriers related to your health care. I'm in my
1: late 30s, but I really dropped the ball on the other. couple. <laughs> but a burgeoning comedy career is like a child. Yeah. In the sense that it's all consuming and just takes all your money and hope away.
0: <laughs> do children
1: take your hope away? <laughs> I guess that I don't know. You have a new kid. How do you do you feel more hopeful? Uh, hopeful. i feel good yeah i, I feel nice. hopeful yeah i mean your kid yeah just give it a few years though like four years in that's when your kids gonna be like actually i'm i'm not gonna share my toys with like the neighbor you yeah. know what i mean i'm and waiting to hear
0: what what employment opportunities there are for newborns out of this conversation yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: so um and so and one of the things i noticed on because you have like um sort of like your initiative for the year like the like six pillars or whatever you're yeah. kind of working on and one of them was about like um trying to find programs to like get people in middle and high school into these fields. And so, like, you you want to find programs to kind of get... Because like, a, a lot of the problem is, like, by the time, you know, like, college... By the time you, like, have a program for, like, Southern, a lot of people maybe from New Haven haven't even gotten that far, right? Like, primary education for them has already been tricky yeah. enough. Yeah, Like, the Southern is not really an option, you know what I mean? And so, like, if, if you don't get that passion in kids younger, you know what I mean, then they're going to take a different path, whatever that might be, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, and, and I, I mean, like, broadly, as, mm-hmm. a, as a statement, I think we need to present more opportunities and options for what, like, a future – is in mm-hmm. our education system to find what someone's passion is. And I think that things like more carpentry classes and other things are one of those ways you can find – I mean, education should be about unlocking a student's passion and then supporting it. Um, yeah, but, I
1: – honestly, like, I, I grew up in Coventry, and, you know, our – like it's not like a poor town, but our, our education budget was terrible and we had like no computers and all I wanted in high school was to learn how to program and there just was nothing for me. Yeah. And, and so it was just like I got to college and people had already taken programming courses. I was like, I'm starting behind. Like I didn't mm-hmm. realize that like and it's not I mean, this was like early on. So like I think most schools now have something. But it's just like that that tiny gap is huge. You know what well, I mean?
2: and but that's a gap that you saw when you wanted to study programming. I think yeah. the larger gap is how, how, what kind of exposure is there to this as a field that you could be interested in? Yeah. Because, I mean, so we sat down and did a, some planning exercise and conversations with like our workforce development mm-hmm. partners. So, like Workforce Alliance, New Haven Works, about um, how we can take some of those people who are looking for jobs and maybe train them to do something with computer skills. And one of the barriers that they found is that a lot of people didn't understand what a career in computer science would look like. Yeah. You You know know?
1: what you got to do? This this is what got me in, is you got to be like, what you can do is you can make video games. And then they'll be like, oh, go on, right? And so, because that's what got me into it originally. I was like, oh, like I... Instead of paying attention in calculus class, I literally programmed video games in my TI-82 calculator. <laughs> I literally, we just did my nice. calculator not paying any attention, failing calculus, but I did learn to program sort of. Yeah. I made and it so, say
0: hello. I made it say boobs. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> this so, is a more advanced calculator than that.
1: <laughs> you could actually literally write boobs with letters on the – Oh, I know. i <laughs> uh, But it was like um, – I think – I mean, because all kids love video games. That's just like – that's just, I mean, look at Fortnite, you know what I mean? Like, it is very popular. So I think if you go to, like, a space like that, like, I, even lately I've been kind of looking at, like, you know, there's a lot of free programs like Unity and stuff that um, are, like, f- video game engines available for people. So I oh, think if yeah, you no, went there's, there's a lot angle. of different
2: modules. So we've been testing out a couple different approaches. Um, so basically our, our philosophy around what we fund, mm-hmm. um, and we have 14 programs across New Haven that we fund, mm-hmm. is that we're either trying to build an enduring asset for the innovation economy. So, for example, like supporting the Holberton School, mm-hmm. like that's gonna that's gonna keep running, yeah, and continue to produce things. The other is testing out um, a new model or a way of doing things. So, for example, we set up a business analyst certificate with Gateway mm-hmm. um, to do a six month certificate of three different courses to try to get somebody to be able to do sort of data visualization and analysis and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we have a series of those things that we're testing out to see how they how they go and. Um, a few of our initiatives um, for youth are, are in that model. So in a partnership with Southern's Computer Science Department, we funded a program called Mobile CSP, okay. um, which is a standard curriculum for introducing youth to program Android apps. Okay. So they did a couple weekend boot camps last year and a couple this year. Um, like they, what age are you like? So middle school and high school. Okay. Um, and so we've actually had something like over 95 students go through um, – and do this weekend course learning how to program android apps
1: yeah um, cuz i find once you unlock that nerd gene people just like mm-hmm. go all in like they'll yeah. stop talking to girls <clears throat> I mean, they probably weren't talking to girls if they're like me, but you know, like you know, they would probably stop and stop going outside, which is nice, you mm-hmm. know. Well, I, th- I think a decent amount of how so we should need to be
2: approaching this is is well, you know, I think something like a third of the students that were going through this course were girls, which is dramatically over the industry average. Um, yeah, that, that's actually one of the selling points of the Holberton School that we mm-hmm. found is it's definitely not fifty fifty where we want to be yeah. getting, but actually, um, my much higher rates.
1: Over half of the developers in my current office are women, which is the first time in my hmm. computer career that has ever been the case. So it's been pretty remarkable. So I think Yale does a somewhat okay job with that. Not at upper levels of management, mm-hmm. like everywhere, basically, but. Uh, and,
2: and so some of that is, is where do you start providing the access and inspiration through the school system to to computer science? So the the goal with the, the mobile CSP was to see how many of those students could be inspired, then go on and take AP Computer Science or another course like that. Mm-hmm but that runs into the challenge of how many schools are actually offering AP Computer Science. And the answer right now in New Haven is there were two classes. So yeah. Hill House had their first this year, yeah. um, and uh, there's one other. So the only, basically there's about 45 students learning com- AP Computer Science yeah. in New Haven's high schools. And we a, need to bump that number up.
1: How do you get a job teaching AP Computer Science?
2: So right now, you actually can't get a, uh, a certifi- certification to teach mm-hmm. with a Computer Science degree
1: yeah you have to like have a master's of education or whatever. No, to teach. no,
2: so if you come out of college with a history degree or a math degree, you yeah. can you can get a certificate to teach. Yeah. You can't currently do that with a computer science degree. and so actually we have this I knew bill. building degree
1: was worthless.
2: <laughs> you can't teach high school, Josh
0: <laughs> for so many reasons. Um, so that's I actually a high school level you had to have a master's in whatever your your discipline was no.
1: Yeah, that's what I always thought, too. I thought it was, like, yeah, like, a overall education to be, like, a full-time teacher. But maybe it was just one course. Maybe mm-hmm. it was like, a different rule. It's almost like being an adjunct professor or something. Or, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. You don't know either, I guess. yeah. It's fine. Um, I, I do Sounds not
2: like believe that those know. are the requirements for the certification. Um, certi- all right. Well, whatever. So w- one of the things that, we, that we're that actually – we have good news on this week. Um, uh, a couple of members of my board have been very active um, in working with some of the state legislators in the area Uh, to pass a bill to change this. So there's a bill that just passed through um, one of the chambers this last week um, that would create a certification for computer science, would create a statewide computer science strategy, and require that all teachers um, starting in 2020 that are coming in for new training get computer science training as a portion of their overall training um, for schools. Because right now one of the things that we have is that we have – invested in putting more computers into classrooms, but mm-hmm. we haven't invested in the training for teachers. And so as an example, like, there's a— I mean, a s-
1: shouldn't they do, like, a basic— I feel like they should do, like, more of a basic computer use course. Computer science is, like, very, like— if you're not interested, it's very esoteric. No. You know? As a husband well,
0: of a teacher, teachers are pretty overburdened already, so this is— It, it, it depends
2: where you're starting, though, with one. computer science. So
0: mm-hmm. if you're— it depends where you're starting with computer
2: science. So they've developed curriculum that goes as early as uh, elementary school that is more about concepts than it okay. is about application. Yeah. Um, and if we're not leading with this, we're falling behind. Okay. If, we're, if we're expecting people to be able to pick up computer science, then we, we should be introducing the basic concepts much, much earlier. And so, But a lot of them are gamified, so a lot of it is how do you introduce through tabletop games or other things mm-hmm. computer science concepts that you can then build on throughout the course of. Yeah. But as an example, um, there's an appetite from teachers for this. So uh, there's a group of students out of Yale um, called Code Haven uh, that are, like, undergraduates who volunteer their time and go out and teach, um, like, Fridays for one hour in 11 different middle school classrooms around New Haven. Mm -hmm. And they've been doing this for a couple years now. They've gotten, like, they'll do, like, little projects with the students. They do a showcase at the end of the year. This last year they pivoted and they offered teachers an opportunity to come in and get training instead of doing the showcase. Mm -hmm. And they were, like, three times oversubscribed. Yeah. like teachers were showing up and basically saying like teach me this so I can so I can do it and we're seeing girls who code uh, cohorts popping up um, we actually just helped support the library to win a, a, a grant um, recently to do uh, girls who code through each of the library locations, mm-hmm. um, but I think a lot of it is—it's uh, a full-court press between our different partners. So I think it needs to start with what do we put in the schools, mm-hmm. but also libraries, housing authority, like every entity that has some aspect of a computer lab needs to augment that with some sort of programming.
1: I won't be happy until every resident of New Haven is either a computer scientist or just a regular scientist. Yeah,
0: see, some of this stuff—it seems like there's such a push towards. Computer science that like everyone's going to be a coder that I'm not really sure if it's <clears throat> if it's going to work out that way because not everyone's into it. It's like yeah. if you're if you're hiring for for a computer science job or even looking for people that will be good in computers, it's really like are you good at logic and then at a higher level, are you do you have some math skills? So it's <clears throat> if you were teaching kids logic skills, that would essentially be setting them up for to you know do programming. Um, so the the push to get Kids on computers all the time because I've I've taught a class to um to kids where we use like code.org and the whole thing is so gamified that it's so um obfuscated from programming that it's kind of like these are really just kids playing games at this point you know it's mm. not yeah. I don't There's know how much how much it's teaching
1: yeah I mean you're building some sort of a probably underlying mechanism of like logic and reasoning and critical thinking ish but yeah you
0: are but I, I think the whole um. You the don't get concept of like together. we're teaching computer science right now i'm like well it's pretty far removed from that so you you don't even have to you could just teach kids logic stuff you don't even have to put it under the veil of this being computer science you know if they get into this stuff mm. they'll, but they'll but, it being, but it being
2: but being gamified provides an entree and a lot of this curriculum are designed by you know people who <laughs> who are studying and testing how to get people motive students motivated about this mm-hmm. and so i think that if if you get to Josh's level where you're saying, I want to learn computer science, mm-hmm. there are now such a diversity of online resources yeah, that, that you can pursue. And, I mean, I, again, I'm not the CS guy, but if you're wanting to do this as a career, you're going to need to develop the skills to teach yourself online, you know, yeah, it's I mean, that's exactly what it is.
0: Just thinking about myself or Josh, the people that go into computer science are the ones that are spending mm-hmm. six hours a day at the computer under their... You know, motivating themselves yeah. to learn this stuff and so you know, search it, it, online, I can all myself that.
1: to leave the computer, I'm yeah, like, exactly. I gotta, I should go outside today. Dream
2: employee. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> it I, I think it comes to the question of not how do you take a bunch of students and make them all do that, mm-hmm. I think it's how do you take students and introduce them to what that world is so that if they have a passion for it, right, they, they can go down that right. path. Was, yeah, that angle or, I would agree with,
0: as yeah. opposed to we need to teach every. I don't, every yeah. teacher computer science and every student computer science is uh, like wh- I don't know I feel bad for that poor kid who just wants mm. to dance.
1: All right, I want to I want to get off this just because we've been we've been on this for a while and yeah uh, you know oh no of, I I,
2: yeah. I want to pivot and talk about how we need to teach c- computer scientists to dance. Okay, yeah.
0: I, I, I think
1: that could improve the world. Uh, I mean, I actually think I'm probably one of the best programmers dancers, but I'm not 100% sure. That's I debatable. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> I, that, that seems like cherry
2: picking a category. You know? Absolutely.
1: Like I was telling somebody, I'm like, listen, I'm not the funniest comic, but I'm probably one of the best programmers who's a comic. <laughs>
2: hey, you know, <laughs> I, I used I used to yeah. do track and field and I, I wasn't that fast. and I wasn't that strong, but I was the fastest shot putter.
1: <laughs> there you go. Nice. Nice. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Um so I w- you know want to get a- some other things uh, so what are the, what are the biggest obstacles in your way right now? Because um, I know certainly Connecticut is in a pretty fiscally challenged moment slash maybe decade, you know um, yeah. and so what are what are the biggest challenges that you're finding I- you know as you
0: undertake this? In how much money of- are you working with by the way, before you answer that, just is there do you have a fixed amount a fixed pot of money that you have to work with right now?
2: Yeah, so we have an annual funding stream that comes from the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so so far we've received two million dollars a year. Um, and we're just about to end our second year. Um, so actually, this next week, I'm going in and... Uh, so
1: hold on. Somebody gives you $2 million a year? Oh yes. Oh, my God. I didn't think <laughs> I know what's wrong with this state. <laughs>
2: um, so we, we have um, a requirement to match at least dollar for dollar for each of the programs that we fund and support. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the first year, we actually had a, almost $5 million of programs that uh, were implemented across the city. Okay. Um, wow. And those range oh. from everything... So th- there are 14 different programs. They range everything from the Library's Innovation Center, Mm -hmm. um, which is sort of the front door to innovation, going to that sense of inclusion um, and access. Uh, Make Haven's expansion, um, Mm -hmm. that has gone from 120 to 360 makers um, in their new space. Uh, The CoLab program, uh, providing entrepreneurial supports um, for community-based entrepreneurship, um, really have been how are we trying to make this sector more accessible. We've also built out a decent amount of specialized testing facilities over at Science Park that companies like Arvinis, um, and artisan are, are using um, mm-hmm. and actually adding quite a few jobs at science park through those programs. Um, then we have our different talent initiatives.
1: Science Park sounds like the worst amusement park. <laughs> it does. <laughs>
2: As we take the tour of the cell, I want to see
0: the beakers. The mitochondria is
2: the powerhouse of the <laughs> cell. Step
1: back from the vat of acid. <laughs>
2: yeah. So, I mean, so Science Park is so we basically have three geographic hubs that we're, that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's based upon a mapping of where the, the technology and innovation companies are. And so it's Science Park, a good portion of downtown in the medical districts, and then over by district and sort of that Mill River area. And yep. Science Park is basically like the model of like the 80s and 90s for what an innovation place used to be, right? It was like a big sea of parking mm-hmm. and then some like converted factory buildings. Yep. And everybody would drive in. They put up gates um, on the edge of the, the, the campus. Yeah. And they would drive in, you know, whatever, eat at the cafeteria or bring their lunch and then drive home. And what we're seeing now is this pivot towards uh, walkable, dense, Interesting space that mixes uses. So
1: luckily, our good friends over at Fuzzy Coffee. Who I'm not even sure they had fun on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they were here. They were here. Yeah. I don't know how they felt about so well, how that all went, but. Uh, They've been packed. No, uh, yeah, no, they're
0: doing they're they great. Do great. They're doing Their well. business has dropped off since the podcast, I noticed. No. <laughs> Is it really? Did no. We give the sure of course not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that be hilarious. So, like, a good portion of what we're trying to do in, like, we're spending about a quarter of our time and money and energy in um, Thinking By About Weed. Do you mean you?
1: Are there other people who actually work there?
0: Um, no, so Mike makes five million dollars a year from this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, we you is get uh, some
1: new clothes. <laughs> if you're making that kind of money. Uh, th- thanks, I'm, <laughs> I'm
0: I'm I'm putting your tax
1: dollars to work. Um,
2: <laughs> so we I have a board about 22 um, that uh-huh. together work on a variety of these different um, priorities. Whether and you're it's, not
1: counting like people like in collab or whatever, right? Because they're like sort of separate. Or no.
2: So so my board has. We have a separate budget committee that handles okay. sort of the budget decisions. The yeah. the board includes some project leads. Okay. Um,
0: so. Caroline Um, Smith is on the board, right? Caroline Smith is helping to lead the Could Be Fund. Uh, oh, which okay. is one of our projects. I was just assuming that she's on the board.
1: Uh, yeah, she's on the board of everything. Yeah, yeah. I would trust entrust her to run most things. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Possible. So uh,
2: her partner in collab, Margaret Lee, is actually my board chair at the moment.
1: Okay, okay
0: there we go. There's yeah. the connection. Phew. So uh,
2: <laughs> I was going to
1: say, boy, they, somebody over there. As long as one oh, of the yeah. two out of no, that power
2: duo is on the board, they are they are plugged in and helping to lead and make this happen. Um, our board chairs, uh, co chairs, um, we have uh, Dr. Winnie Yu, who's the um. S- Science the, the STEM C-C-C. sector director over at, yeah, at Southern Connecticut. Yep. And then Barry Schweitzer, uh, who actually just left, he was an investment partner at um, Elm Street Ventures, which is a bioscience and, uh, VC, um, and actually just became Dartmouth's tech transfer chief. Um, so, so we'll be... Uh,
1: Our we'll friend Dan went to Dartmouth. Oh, oh yeah? yeah. Well, we try not to judge him too harshly.
0: No. He's <laughs> mostly normal. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's not, but I feel like whatever happened there was pre-Dartmouth, is my guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's my non-expert <laughs> <on it. laughs> But what are your obstacles right now? Like, what do you what you know? What is slowing you down? You know, what 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 could make your life easier?
2: So, I think some of our key obstacles really have to do with the the scale of our challenge. So. That's there, twofold. The first is the the more direct scale, which is I sector based. Like if you based. Could point that mic right at you, so um, it's more like they're very directional. Side. So, so I, I think that the first large challenge is that we need to build more lab space. And okay. it's a very simple challenge in that aspect. We yeah. just need more lab space that yeah, is time and money that is at the scale of a small company. So, okay. a company that can take four hundred to fifteen hundred square feet, mm-hmm. and then maybe add that every three months. Rather than take thirty thousand or a hundred thousand square feet at a time, but this is actually sort of Connecticut's challenge. Yeah, broadly, I'd say Connecticut's challenge is urbanization. That people want to live in cities and they're they're moving out of out of the suburbs right. and, mm-hmm. their and their options areas.
1: are basically New Haven and uh, Hartford, or, or or Stanford if you work in New York. Or Sorry,
2: or yeah. New York or Boston. Right, like uh, honestly, they're they're picking the the cities not, we have, or, or, or they're picking photos. other <laughs> other places. <laughs> um, but that that's true for our bioscience space. Yeah. So. The the young companies want to be as close to the hospital as they can be. Yeah, and so they're looking for space in New Haven mm-hmm. that they can that is very proximate, and so they're looking for small you buy space. Buy a
1: property over on Sherman Ave, and yeah, uh, good
0: and, luck.
2: And, and put labs into it. Yes, you should. So it Do they want
0: to be co-located near the hospital just to do clinical trials? Or are they using the, like the? I know Pfizer has like the Meeting the human doctors. testing space, and
2: so it's it's not clinical trials. And it's very often well
0: before that space? space. Yeah, Pfizer's got a a uh, human testing space on, uh, what is that, Frontage Road?
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've driven by that. I didn't know that so they, they did experiments What's humans. happening there? So that's <laughs> where so th- supervillains come from. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> that's exactly right.
2: Nice. So in the life cycle of a bioscience company. Three are being company? fused into one. Yeah, there's <laughs> oh, all yeah. kinds of Frankenstein <laughs> stuff
0: going on over there. <laughs> the amount of inspiration well, and that, that saves on space <laughs> is so surprising. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, No, the, the life cycle of a bioscience company is very different from a startup. Right. So like a startup would would have some sense of like we need to turn something around in a year and a half. Yeah. Um, runway, right. angel investors. So because bioscience companies need to go through all of these different FDA regulations, there's a variety of different benchmarks for them mm-hmm. in which they receive funding, do more tests. So that's actually quite a while before they get to the clinical stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like they've, the they've, they've stage scaled stage, up they've quite a bit. A
1: bunch of, like they need to be pretty far. Like, right. Yeah. Big money's been invested. Yeah. yeah.
2: And, and th- they already have quite a, a decent footprint mm-hmm. at that point. Um, so our challenge is that lab space is just so expensive to build that we, we only have a couple players in the private real estate market that are, that are building it. And it doesn't help us that other states nearby have spent insane amounts of public money to create incubators that are essentially the same facilities. So New Jersey has a facility. Boston has several uh, New New York just announced uh, last year that they're, they're doing a half billion dollars into bioscience. hundred million dollars is one facility. And then mm-hmm. um, Rhode Island just did about 23 million dollars of public money into a facility uh, two years ago. And so our challenge is that these models, as they've been put together in the real estate market, have required a dec- like a large amount of public subsidy. So, given the state's challenges, they're going to need to pick and choose what the, the best bets are for economic development. Oh, we're good at as that. As this new administration. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're trying to figure out. So, we, we actually had a plan for doing some lab space um, that's, that has been put on hold as the debt diet gets figured out um, up in Hartford.
0: right. But a right. good portion
2: of it, what we need to figure out, big picture challenge, how do we get this space that it's expensive because they have to do special air handling Mm -hmm. systems because they have to make all the surfaces able to be completely sterilized right Right. um they have to have clean rooms and different things like that
0: so is is yale's new uh neuroscience building that they're going to build over by st ray's are they is that just for them or is there any lab space built into that or what
2: so there's there's going to be some lab space um that's actually the hospital's building um which again there's a, a bit of a distinction there Yale will probably be doing a separate neuroscience institute as well um that that partnership around their research priorities is going to spin out a lot of companies but there's only so much research that can be done by somebody in the space that is used for academic research right. um, or medical research mm-hmm. and and the question is where do they spin that out to to, to be a company in a space that you know pays taxes mm-hmm. and and uh, States where they can grow and hire it's very people.
1: Unlike a New Haven company you have to pay taxes, but yeah, I guess it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah right, I mean that, that's, that's enough boring nerd stuff. Uh, let's play some games. Just related that. All let's right, play there some games. Time. Yeah, that's enough of that. Um, I had a couple of things, but they're uh, they're boring, so it's fine. I'm, I don't really want to talk about them. So. Uh, so the first game we like to play is one thing. <laughs> so every time I say it, I'm like, God, the name is stupid. But what are you gonna do? It's uh, so basically it's like one thing from another city that you would love to see in New Haven. Let's
0: call it steal something.
1: Steal something, yeah. I guess it's all right. Yeah, sure. We'll talk Feel later. Something. Yeah, we'll talk later. Oh yeah, God oh. will intimidate me with his superior frame. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, I had a, my girlfriend's roommate said I uh, had a good frame recently. It's one of the weirder compliments I've gotten in my wow, life. Wow. It's weird. Yeah. Is, is that
2: always saying, like, you have potential? Like, you know, hey, oh, hey, yes. hey,
0: hey, Josh, you, you got a lot of work with. You got something you could build on if you ever tried.
1: <laughs> if you ever if you ever go out <laughs> for football, I think you really got a good frame to build on. I don't know. It's, I think it's great.
0: You're thick in the hips.
1: Yeah. So my girlfriend also said I have nice uh, big knees. So, you know, I got a lot going on. Oh, really? Yet. Future yeah. arthritis. <laughs> Maybe we should start a new segment, like, weirdest compliment you've gotten. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What is the weirdest compliment you think you've
0: gotten? I don't know. I'd have to think about that for a while.
1: Big knees. So, y-
2: you you guys get compliments?
1: I mean, I think that sometimes somebody says something weird to you and I take it as a compliment because that's a personal choice that I've made. Mm. Yeah. You know, that like, no, I'm going to take this as a good. I might have just been insulted and I don't care. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it I think it helps have thick skin and yeah. try to um, thick knees. Thick. <laughs> exactly. They uh-huh. help with, uh, I once had to, oh my God, when I worked in IT, I worked for a private company. And, uh, so when you work for a private company, sometimes you just have to do like bullshit for like the owners or whatever. And so he had this like mansion. And so he's like, oh, you got to like hook up my like iTunes stuff. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I drove <laughs> this dude's mansion. And so basically I had to like go into his basement, hook it up, but he only had like a half basement. And so I just had to crawl and he, he ga- and it was gravel. And he basically, he's like, here's your knee pads. Go Like, go do oh, it. Oh, right? man. <laughs> and I was just like, this is why I went to engineering school. Like, he was flicking
0: cigarettes at me while I did it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he was probably screaming at me. He was a pretty volatile <laughs> personality. Um, okay, so one thing. Steal something oh, from uh, another w- city. One thing I would steal. Um,
2: so I, I think that the, we have an enormous potential with our trails in New Haven. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly like, like the Mill River Trail, um, that just, the portion that just got built along the um, like right by Grand Avenue, like looks beautiful, like it's gorgeous. Okay. Um, and a lot of that's been like hacked together by volunteers and really like put together over time. So there's one thing I could steal, I, I would love to see like what the that on steroids looks like. And so I would say some a combination of New York's Highline, but also what they did at Roosevelt Island. So at Roosevelt Island they, they took the challenge of like storms coming in with like storm surge and mm-hmm. they addressed it by building like a series of embankments and, and walkable spaces, like these trails that go over these green hills that absorb the storm surge and like drain it. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of like as we talk about climate change, the southern edge of Fairhaven, like down by Criscolo Park. Yeah, like has a bunch of these industrial sites that are challenged for development because they're in these flood zones. Yeah. I I would steal some combination of like that Rosewood Island and the High Line to see if hey, we could so like See
1: like, like River Street so Broken Glass Alley over there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> a, a,
2: a lot of it just is are these industrial sites some of which are dirty. Yeah, some of them um, have
1: to be like brownfield sites. Yeah. But
2: like Criscolo Park is so gorgeous mm-hmm. and like the, the trail, like you can walk along the entire eastern side of Fairhaven. Yeah. And so finding a way to like both do the resiliency to st- like protect the, the homes in the neighborhood and mm-hmm. like address the, the challenge of climate change and sea level rise, but also making that a space that you can come like, if you could walk from like basically the skating rink all the way down the west side of Fairhaven across the south and up the east, like mm-hmm. that, that would be mm-hmm. just a wonderful trail connection.
0: Yeah, I got to say, I went um, I went for a hike the other day by the Mill River over by um, Eli Whitney. Um, and there were a bunch of people paddleboarding on the river. And it was like a different world over there. It was one of those nice days last week. It was yeah. beautiful. It was like anything they do to make the whole thing, make the whole town like that. Yeah, because yeah, totally one,
1: one of the advantages of New Haven is that there is some nature here that you can kind of like get to. that still feels yeah, nature. There's a ton. We've got good yeah.
0: urban nature, yeah, where you can yeah. really be. Right in the middle of the city, and go go places like people, where you like, can't see a building. Yeah, you like know? when I, mm-hmm.
1: you know, people are like, "Oh, Central Park." I'm like, "Too." Central Park is like not nah, like it's so full of humans. You very much know you're in the middle of a mm-hmm. city. Like you're not, mm-hmm. you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. If
0: you're going to a park where you can't find a place to sit, that's the, that's <laughs> a little different. <laughs> but
1: it's just the sense of being really enveloped in mm-hmm. nature, you know. And
2: and we've got our own version. So like Edgewood Park was designed by the same guy who designed Central Park. Yeah um and we got a whole bunch of parks i think becky bombero has a statistic i'm trying to remember i think it's something like it's either a fifth or a sixth like like something like a sixth of new haven is park Mm -hmm. yeah
0: like uh, like the land is parkland um and we
1: turn that into a parking lot somehow that'd be nice
0: (laughs) something like 20 percent is roadway so that's already covered (laughs)
1: um okay do you want to steal anything colin
0: i would love to see like in one of those like the old factories by uh by Science Park if they could like rehab that and make it a like a gun factory type of deal that would be great <laughs> <laughs> maybe like rifles or something like that that would be really cool
1: I'd like to steal Mexican food from your home state Michael I was just back there for a wedding recently
0: yeah um, You're, he's from so California yeah, for those it's, who do not know him personally it, for the one listener so
1: who is tuning in who doesn't just know Mike <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, no and like a good portion of just like the ingredients and things mm-hmm. Um to talk to some folks I mean Everyone's using like fresh tortillas, which is not a most much of a thing up here in the Northeast. Yeah, um, and so like I mean, I I love going
1: down to Long Wharf and getting fish tacos, but yeah, it's not the same.
0: Do you grind your own corn for tortillas, Josh?
1: <laughs> I actually eat whole wheat tortillas like some sort of sociopath. So mm, corn is better. But- yeah, it is, but it's just whole wheat is so good corns, for you. Corns, corns, where it's
0: at. Yeah. Are you th- eating that, that th- many tortillas that it makes a difference?
1: No, I just i, I do all the whole wheat replacements, whether yeah. it's pasta,
0: tortillas. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, whole wheat pasta is terrible.
1: I'm fine with it. Really? I don't, yeah, I really I don't. There's a big difference. I feel there. like most of the f- most of it, uh, the flavor is the sauce, and like the materials. You mm. know? Oh, I just the, eat the pasta the raw. Glass, the uh, sawdust, <laughs> 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 the raw materials of pasta, I find really add all the flavor. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, that,
2: that actually makes me think, though, of another thing I'd love to steal, which is um, like New Haven could really use like a good food a hall.
1: Mona Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Heist Podcast. Sorry, what did you say? I interrupted you. I apologize.
2: Food hall. Food hall. Yeah, like, I like, agree. Uh,
1: like, a, like a good food hall. I thought hall. we were
2: getting like one. Some events. So there's like four different proposals for food halls yeah. around town, mm-hmm. um, like one over at the end of Worcester Street. Yeah. They're talking about maybe doing one at Science Park. There's a, there's a couple others that, that have I talked thought there about was, it.
1: Like, I thought one had been, like, approved over by, like, where Pokealicious is or, um or like, um like the ramen place. But I thought, like, there was supposed to be something over there that was, like, a food hall. But I, I don't know. It's not what ended up happening, so I have no yeah. idea. Yeah.
2: I mean, there's a few people that have talked about it and sort of in the works. But, I mean, yeah. once you get a food hall, it, it, like, it gives a nice landing spot for, like, a food entrepreneur who's going yeah. from, like, the city seed program to, yeah. like, has someone to test something out and, like, play around. And I think, I think you get a lot of good food when people have space to, you know, try and fail without like losing their shirt on a brick and mortar as a consumer
1: too for like to come in and be like oh you know my friend doesn't like indian but i do and he wants you know if you're in the mood for different things it's nice to have the option Mm -hmm. all right let's uh move on to everybody's favorite segment fuck Mary kill um so we do this with ideas not humans and uh so, we had some terrible ideas that we discussed, but then right before the podcast, we decided that. And actually, now I'm wondering is, would you rather do this about, because uh, we're both pescatarians, right? Yeah. And so, would you rather do this about seafood or uh, meat alternatives? What is a more fun what I mean, I it? think
2: like meat alternatives would be more funny and accessible. Yeah. But, uh, okay. Sure. More options. I mean, I, so I, I, I can also Mary, talk about yeah. terrible fish.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. Uh, so, fuck, Mary, kill for meat alternatives.
0: I don't know. Does tempeh make anybody happy? Tempeh is a little odd. Yeah. I eat it from Edge of the Woods like yeah when they have it. Somebody's got a little taste, bit uh, of a weird aftertaste to it. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's if somebody it's else makes food. it I'm usually happier. Yeah, oh, I don't mess with it in my own house. Yeah, no, yeah. certainly not. No. Um I honestly don't even use tofu in my own house. I I'll eat it out but uh, Yeah, I've I don't
1: know. it a couple times I'm not good the, at it. The amount of work, you have to, you have to, you have to like press it to get all the moisture out and then like i i've only only baked it um and by the time like, i
0: find it edible i've usually just fried the shit out of it so yeah like,
1: at that point like, yeah I don't yeah know.
2: well i'll do like a stir fry type deal and then like also and in get into like doing like cauliflower rice and stir fries and so like it, it those textures wind up working the mm-hmm. cauliflower rice like got a little like crunch to it and like it's you know it's that. would so you say would, you would marry it
1: i will fuck black bean burgers ah you know
0: Oh, i was gonna marry black bean okay yeah. yeah i mean
1: i i like because i feel like a lot of the burgers go wrong and that they try to be like me and they're very yeah, yeah. much not and that's just kind of gross but a black well, bean burger is a different experience black bean yeah. stands on mm. its own so do, do, it's, I'm, I'm not, not trying to be a burger, burger. experience yeah. Yeah, i'm not a i'm not a Boca burger guy yeah no i mean i'm not really saying any particular brand i guess more like because you can make your own easily ish enough you know it's not too crazy the, I don't know. the
2: new stuff's getting wild though
1: yeah like, no, I would like marry Impossible Burger. The, I still uh, I haven't tried I'm very excited to try it. I just tried one recently. Very good. Like, it's just, you know, like, it's as close to meat as I've ever had. Mm. That is not meat. It's that like, heme. It's, it is that heme. It's that fake blood. It's mm-hmm. like something about it. I don't know. Have you had it? I, I, I
2: haven't had the Impossible Burger with the fake blood, but I've, I've been having ah. better and better. Uh,
1: I think they like, have a shell like and bones. They do. They deals. have a shell yeah. and bones. There's one other place. But if you're, you're a shell and bones, so it's like you're going to get seafood, right? So, so I had a good
0: discussion with a... With a vegetarian about the Impossible Burger, and we're like, oh yeah, it's got the uh, the blood, just looks like so realistic. And I'm wondering if this is creating like moral dilemmas for vegetarians that are vegetarians because of the moral reasons. And yeah. they're like, at this point, if there's like blood running down my face, can I even eat this thing? Yeah, is like it's trying to anything be
1: like blood. I mean, it's juicier, but it's certainly not blood. It's I mean, just yeah. the
0: even the juice, like it's it's such a good replicant of yeah meat. Yeah, I, I, it's
1: still not quite the same. I don't know. I'm not worried. Because then there's a question of like, would you eat like lab grown meat?
0: But you're not I mean, in it for the moral reasons, being a vegetarian. No, strictly the and health and reasons. Health
1: and environmental. Right. It's really more environmental. So health and
0: environmental, right. you're like, oh yeah, the yeah. Impossible Burger, great. But yeah, if exactly. it was for the it's moral reasons, it might be yeah. a harder dilemma.
1: So would you fuck or marry? I feel like nobody else has answered. You ma- you marry black bean burgers? I'll marry black bean burgers. Yeah. yeah.
0: I want to fuck with the Impossible Burger because I haven't okay. even tried it yet. Have, so. Yeah, it's quite good. Yeah. They
1: have yeah. it. And I'd kill Plan tempeh. B. You kill mm-hmm. what? I'd kill tempeh. You kill tempeh. Kill tempeh. I would okay. kill, um, like the Morningstar, like fake breakfast links. Like the breakfast uh, yeah, sausage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are never going so Like just any breakfast, like Italian sausage, fine. Breakfast sausage is just, like, so dry and, uh, terrible. What? Oh, you're, you got to st- stay up on the mic there, buddy. I know you're, I know you're relaxed. Too having relaxed. Having Too relaxed. But yeah, you got to, got to really eat that mic. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say yeah, like the breakfast like sausage patty is just so bad. I've never found a way to make them appealing, and that's just yeah. yeah.
0: I would kill just the whole class of uh, frozen veggie patties. I don't know. I, I never had one that I thought was was any good.
2: No, I, I the way to do it the the ones that are are decent are like the. Um like the bratwurst imitation, or like the Italian sausage, yeah, like stuff that you can get, like yeah. much more, like not hot dogs, not not morning, yeah. Who's fake, fake like stuff. I stuff? Who
1: becomes a vegetarian is like I miss hot dogs. <laughs> like <laughs> I just do you? <laughs> no, so usually yeah. like, I, I
2: was I was raised vegetarian, so yeah. I actually I, I didn't become one. Yeah. Um, and so in that way, like I, I've actually spent a decent amount of time working on ranches and working with animals and um, taking a cow from like standing up to on someone's plate.
1: Yeah.
2: It's if you don't grow up with it, there's not that craving there when you see it. Like I yeah. know what it tastes like, but like it wasn't. Yeah, I don't really
1: miss it that much. Sometimes yeah. I eat meat just because it's convenient and it's like the only food around me, and I'm like, yeah, all right, whatever. I don't really care that much. But like I don't know. Most of the time. Do you do 10%. eggs? Yeah.
0: yeah,
1: yeah. I do eggs. I love eggs. Mm. I don't know. So you don't you'll you'll eat
0: them. meat in embryonic form.
1: I mean, they're unfertilized though, so it's not <laughs> like they have to kill. Them. Um. So did you marry? Fuck, kill anything? I, you killed? What was it? You killed tempe. Uh,
2: tempe. I think I've fucked with the Impossible Burger, and um, I'm sticking with marion.
1: Uh, Italian sausage, yeah, Italian yeah. sausage. It's I'd a good choice. Sorry. Literally, like I,
2: got, I was, I got some this weekend. So yeah, I, I, I eat it all the time. I put it in my Standby.
1: omelets. I put it in my pasta. It's great. Yeah, because yeah. I, so I go back is, and
2: forth with the chorizo. You know, there's, there's a few different options there, but
1: yeah, yeah. sausage is just so much based on the spice that really whatever makes it up, whether it's like ground up pigs or mm-hmm. ground up tofu it doesn't make that big difference so.
0: I mean it doesn't sound good when you call it ground up pigs oh okay nothing yeah. <laughs> sounds good when you describe it as what it is <laughs> exactly man uh, man
2: there was there's one that I forgot about though um, when I was young uh, my grandmother who uh, who did eat meat and f- thought that we were weird you know la vegetarians uh, got this um, got this product called veet Veet. veet
0: okay vegetable meat oh this <laughs> is this was, this oh, was back in like the 90s or something yeah
2: um, Remember, yeah, it has very odd taste when come out. And it was basically just like these small little chunks that you would, you know, cook in sauce. I would love to go back and find find some veet okay, and try that. So, again. if
0: any listener I, I'd, where I'd, we can I'd get, I'd feet. fuck with some veet. Hit us up a little bit of veet. Did you do all A little, all the little, beet little, beet little kills? bit of child yeah. And yeah. nostalgia okay, there. Okay, so mm-hmm.
1: we are we are good. We are we were at the end of this podcast. Um, Michael, where where can people can find out? How to get involved? How to yeah no there's there's a
2: lot of opportunities to get involved. Um, whether you're, people are proposing new like art projects around town, they want to get into training to work in the tech sector, mm-hmm. or they have an idea to start uh, a business. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find out more at the Elm City Innovation Collaborative dot com. Um, and <laughs> there is <laughs> you <love> finding that <laughs> there's going to be a new name and uh, and website uh, this summer.
1: It's cool that this information will soon be outdated, but uh, yeah, I'm sure if you Google it, you'll. I just wanted to I just right? wanted to fit the uh, uh, fit the theme of your it. podcast, you know? Absolutely yeah oh okay that's true between trucks rocks is a mouthful <laughs> but what are you gonna do we've already settled it at least people know roughly how to spell it that helps yeah um so yeah come out june 21st friday 9 p.m comedy show at the art plus studio uh 1207 chapel Sh- i don't know google it hopefully to see you there it's a good time thank you so much for tuning in thank you michael for joining us anytime Uh, Thank you, Colin, as always, for hosting. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, this was fun. And thank you so much, uh, everybody. Thank, you know, Baobab for hosting us as always. And we will see you next time. Busy people
2: and lots of yellies.
1: Worcester hipsters and bad-up townies. We have more than pizza in common. Two rocks for bookends. New Haven. New Haven. New Haven. Between two rocks la ra la, la, la.